Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Welcome back to Enriched Menopause. I have a really special guest with us today, Dr. Rivka Friedman. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist extraordinaire. I've had the pleasure of working with Rivka over the last, I think about six years now, and we've known each other even for years before that when I used to refer patients to her before we were in the same office. But uh, Rivka, welcome. Thank you. So first, Rivka, I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in pelvic floor physical therapy. Well, first I chose physical therapy as a profession. I just like the idea of, I just want to help people. And I thought it was sort of like a nice middle ground between becoming a physician and a psychologist. I thought it blended science and psychology very well. And once I was in PT school, that's when I heard about what pelvic floor therapy was. Back then it was called women's health physical therapy. And I really liked the idea of uh, treating women as a population, like mm -hmm. specifically just focusing my practice on women. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, once I started learning about it, I found it fascinating and I was hooked. Mm -hmm. And I think you make a great point there that it's a real combination between the pathophysiology. So when we talk about that, we mean like the physical signs and the psychological signs and all of those things that can really contribute to the pelvic floor. And it really is important for all women, but definitely can be important for women in this sort of stage of perimenopause and menopause. So tell me a little bit more about what is pelvic floor physical therapy? I know a lot of people out there either haven't heard about it at all, or if they have, they think it's just Kegel exercises. So tell me right. a little bit more about it. Right. So it's definitely not just Kegels. So pelvic floor physical therapists specifically treat pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. And pelvic floor muscle dysfunction means that the pelvic floor muscles are either in a nutshell, too weak or maybe too tense or too tight. So a woman might come in with a specific problem and that problem may have been caused by the pelvic floor muscle dysfunction or maybe their problem created the pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. And then, you know, we examine the patient and we address what we find and, you know, what needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. So why is the pelvic floor so critical? What's so important about the function and the strength of the pelvic floor? So the pelvic floor is actually part of our core and our core, you know, stabilizes our body throughout our day. It's, it's our body's natural back brace. It also supports our pelvic organs. So it's really important, you know, to make sure that our pelvic floor muscles are not just strong, but functioning properly as part of our core. Because if we're not integrating our pelvic floor together with the other parts of our core, like our abdominal muscles and our diaphragm, we could actually be creating damage or negative not negative, but increased pressure on the pelvic organs, and that can lead to things like prolapse and incontinence. So it's really important to be able to integrate those muscles properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think about pelvic floor in terms of pregnancy and childbirth, which of course the pelvic floor is really critical at those times. But what um, what is it about perimenopause and postmenopause um, that's so important about the pelvic floor? Right. So, you know, the, the main issues that I see in women going through 
perimenopause and menopause are related to decreasing estrogen levels and decreasing muscle strength. So those two things combined can lead to things like urinary incontinence, overactive bladder, and painful sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely that decrease in estrogen contributes to, to those things, the decrease in muscle mass, which we know happens for all women after menopause. So when you're evaluating and addressing those issues in the pelvic floor, um, how would you go about that? So let's start with urinary incontinence. So if somebody's either running to the bathroom all the time and can't quite make it in time, or if they're leaking when they cough or sneeze or laugh, how do you address that with the pelvic floor? Right. So when I first meet a patient, I take a detailed history and I make sure to ask certain key questions to clue me in as to what's going on. And then we do a two-part exam. The first part is an orthopedic screen where I look at their postures or alignment, things not necessarily directly pelvic floor related, but things that could be contributing to their pelvic floor muscle function. And then we do a pelvic floor exam, which is similar to gynecologic exam, where I check the patient's ability to contract and relax their pelvic floor muscles and also how they integrate their pelvic floor with their breathing, with their core, and so on. And right away, I start giving them feedback as to how to either contract or relax better, depending on what they need. We also do a lot of patient education. So for example, we touched on two different types of bladder issues, but for overactive bladder, there's a lot of behavior modifications that can be really helpful. Something called deferment techniques, like little tips and tricks that you can do to help calm your bladder down. And just understanding you know, where these conditions sort of come from and, you know, the things that have been shown to help with these issues just can be very empowering and can just really make a huge difference in a woman's quality of life and their ability to tackle the issue. Mm -hmm. So when somebody comes in to see you and they're having issues with urinary incontinence, how long does it usually take to for them to start getting results? What kind of results can they expect afterwards? What it, what does that look like? Right. So patients usually commit to pelvic physical therapy for one session a week for about six weeks. I usually say, you know, you should start to feel some sort of a change within the first few weeks. By six weeks, we'll know whether or not the therapy is working for you. If the condition is more severe or chronic, it could take longer, maybe around 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And once the patient's feeling a lot better, but not, you know, 100% where they want to be, we'll decrease the frequency to maybe every other week or once a month or know, depending on what the patient needs and wants. Mm -hmm. And how many women would you say, I mean, I I don't need exact numbers here, but for women who are coming for that urinary incontinence, how many are satisfied with where they're at when they get through their pelvic floor course? I would say roughly 80% of women get 80% improvement. So Mm -hmm. I would say a nice amount of women, you know, find the therapy to be very helpful. Okay, so that's a really great proportion and it allows people to avoid medications and to avoid procedures, which of course have their own sort of risk to it. So right, that's absolutely. Awesome. Although I am, you know, in a unique uh, situation here because we're also working together. So a lot of the patients that I'm seeing currently are getting a combination of treatments. You know, they're mm-hmm. getting, they're seeing you first. So they're getting the medical side. They might already have a pessary for prolapse or, mm-hmm. you know, they're already getting the medical treatment, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they come to me to sort of deliver the medical side, but sometimes they already have the medical side working in their favor. So really a multidisciplinary approach is what's key and what gives us the best results. Right. I agree with that 100%. (laughs) I I, I love how we have that team together so we can work together and get that multidisciplinary approach. So we talked a bit about urinary incontinence, but let's talk about prolapse. So 
some people have no idea what we're talking about when we say prolapse. So what does that mean and, and how do you help people in that area? So pelvic organ prolapse is when the pelvic organs, specifically the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum, and you can have one of them or all three at once, mm-hmm. <laughs> they start to descend into the vaginal canal. So a woman might feel a bulge or a heaviness or a pressure or a change in their bladder or bowel function. And so this can range from just mild, dis- just actually on the lighter side, just kind of feeling something with their hand, but not it, not really affecting their day-to-day life to having significant heaviness and pressure and discomfort, you know, depending on the severity. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes even not being able to empty their bladder or empty right, their bowels right, or trouble exactly. peeing and pooping. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So pelvic floor therapy is a really great conservative approach, whereas we strengthen the muscles because, like I said earlier, those muscles help to support those organs and learning how to manage those pressures with your pelvic floor and your diaphragm, your breathing, and like during your day-to-day activities with things like lifting and coughing. So just decreasing that pressure on the pelvic floor can really reduce the prolapse and make a woman feel a lot more comfortable. And of course, we uh, we offer other interventions like a pessary, which is an orthotic device, uh, usually made from, what is it made from exactly? It's made from like a silicone, it's usually, usually like or, a silicone rubber device yeah. that we insert into the vagina to kind of hold things up. Right. And sometimes we can do that in conjunction with pelvic floor physical therapy. Sometimes we do one or the other, but I think having, as you talked about with the incontinence, having that kind of multidisciplinary approach can be helpful and of course there's surgical corrections for this too but especially for someone who either doesn't want to undergo surgery or who has a lot of medical risk factors for surgery I think the pelvic floor therapy can be a great alternative and and often very successful as well right and even when a patient does choose surgery it's actually part of the you know the rehab process to make sure that they feel the best and you know have the best surgical outcome as well you know Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's no complications after the surgery that there's surgery lasts on many, many, many years. (laughs) Exactly. And I find the pelvic floor therapy can be helpful both before surgery and kind of preparing somebody for their best result. And then also after the initial recovery from surgery, really building that strength up so that all of the, you know, measures that we've taken with surgery don't just get undone from the same kind of habits or stressors that were on the pelvic floor from beforehand in terms of the prolapse. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we talked a little bit about incontinence. We talked a little bit about prolapse. These are some of the kind of functional things that can be an issue for a lot of women, especially as we get into perimenopause and postmenopause, especially after children, sometimes after hysterectomies, sometimes after just having pressure from from weight and other factors. But on the other side of the pelvic floor therapy, we look at women who have pelvic pain, which is a little bit different of an approach. So tell me a little bit more about how the pelvic floor can cause pain and how you address that. Right. So when you know when we're dealing with pelvic pain we're really looking at the whole person the whole system so you know it's there's so many things that can be affecting pelvic pain but with regards to the pelvic floor typically in someone with pelvic pain they'll have pelvic floor muscle spasm or what we call an overactive pelvic floor and it's a little bit of a chicken or an egg scenario you know we call it the pain spasm pain cycle so the pain will cause the pelvic floor muscles to spasm which will create more pain and in turn more spasm so it's my job as a physical therapist to teach 
the woman how to learn how to relax those muscles in order to break that cycle and decrease their pain levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's often that chicken or the egg kind of scenario. So generally, it's part of our job to figure out, okay, where is this pain starting so that we can address the cause? And, and even for women that I see who have pain from other issues, whether that's endometriosis or fibroids, over time, having that chronic pain leads to more spasm in the pelvic floor, leads to more pain. So that even after I've treated the endometriosis and the fibroids with surgery or other means, then sometimes the pain goes on unless we really address that pelvic floor. So how does pelvic floor therapy for pain kind of differ for than pelvic floor therapy that's meant to do more of these sort of functional issues? Right. So pelvic floor therapy for pain, I tend to focus a lot on manual therapy treatments. I'll do a lot of massage or what's called visceral manipulation. Uh, It's it's similar to some women might have heard of uh, what's called mine abdominal massage, which is not exactly what I do, but what I do is kind of similar to that. Um, If someone has adhesions or scar tissue in the pelvis, you know, that we can loosen that up, you know, the circulation going. So just really that manual therapy, correcting alignment, just decreasing muscle spasm, muscle tension, improving uh, mobility in the whole general lower back, pelvis, and hip area can really improve a woman's quality of life and decrease their pain levels dramatically. And then, of course, on getting those pelvic floor muscles to relax. So, you know, and the treatment for pain is typically a longer treatment than Mm -hmm. for the incontinence type treatments. Mm -hmm. So it's really almost like the opposite of the, the incontinence treatments. The incontinence treatments are all about improved tone and strength, whereas, you know, the pain treatments are typically, not always, but typically more geared towards getting the patient to learn how to relax their muscles. Mm-hmm. So the the typical treatment course for something like incontinence or prolapse might be anywhere from six to 12 sessions, you know, depending on how people respond. For a pelvic pain, you tend to see it a lot longer than that? I, yeah, it would. it's usually a longer course of treatment. So I would expect, you know, 10 visits. And, you know, sometimes I'll see a patient for three months, six months, a year, depending Mm -hmm. on, you know, how severe and chronic the pain is. Yeah, depending on all those factors. I definitely notice that with my patients who have chronic pain, I always tell them, like, give it at least eight to ten visits before you decide how well it's working for you, because it does take a lot longer to get into that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we talked a little bit about Kegel exercises before, but... Should somebody with chronic pelvic pain be doing Kegel exercises? Right, absolutely <laughs> not. So typically, like I said, most patients with pain, their muscles are more on the tense side. So if you're squeezing and tensing those muscles, you're just going to increase that pain and spasm. So no, patients with pain should not be doing Kegels unless specifically told to do so by a pelvic floor therapist. Okay, everybody heard that? Don't just go <laughs> doing Kegel exercises. That's definitely one of my pet peeves when, when people come in with pelvic floor issues that are more spasm related and they've been doing so many Kegel exercises at home. Are there any other things that you wish women knew more about? I wish women knew that these type of issues like the incontinence and the pain are not normal parts of aging. I mean, they're common, but they're not normal. And when we say normal, you know, women kind of feel like, oh, I guess I just have to tough it up and deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I I love the quote, if you listen to your body when it whispers, you don't have to hear it scream. So, you know, when you start having these issues, I, I want women to know that there's help for these problems and that they should start finding answers and looking for solutions 
friends instead of just, you know, throwing up their hands and giving mm-hmm. up and just saying, oh, this is a normal part of aging. I guess I have to deal with it. Right, right. No, and I see what you're saying. When we're saying not normal, it's not like you're not normal as a person if you have those issues. There's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's just that, you know, a lot of us are told, like, this is just what we have to go through as women and we have to suffer through it and we have to deal with leaking on ourselves or things pushing out or things being painful. And, and that's not true. So as you said, if, if you start to feel changes and you feel something that's abnormal, being evaluated by a gynecologist and a pelvic floor physical therapist can be really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, are there things that women can do at home? Maybe they're not in the point yet where they're having distress. They're not having a lot of leakage. Maybe, you know, when they had that cold, they had a little bit or they feel like a little bit of pressure in the vagina, but not really a lot of bulge yet, or they're starting to get a little discomfort. Are there things that women can do at home to help with their pelvic floor before it kind of gets to the point where they need more invasive treatment? Right. Absolutely. So in general, for women that are not having issues with pain, pelvic pain, pain with sex, Kegels are generally a good idea. You know, the advice to do 100 Kegels a day might be a little excessive, but you know, like 20 in the morning, 20 at night, I think is a good, you know, I usually recommend like a 10 second squeeze, uh, 20 reps, and then a shorter Kegel of a two second squeeze with a five second rest, also another 20 reps. So I guess that's a total of 80 Kegels, but maybe not to be, women don't need to be Kegeling all day long. We're actually not meant to tense or grip our muscles all day long but in general kegels are a good idea if you're not having pain or you know those type of problems um yoga and pilates can also be really good for the pelvic floor but it's very important to make sure that you're doing those exercises correctly Mm -hmm. so you have to make sure that you have a good instructor and that you're not feeling any increased pelvic pressure when you're doing the exercises Um, if you are uh, feeling increased pelvic pressure or you're having worsening symptoms with Kegels or Pilates or yoga, I would say it's important to get checked out by pelvic floor PT to make sure that you're doing these exercises correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you've shared with me before too some just little tips and tricks for posturing. So about standing up straight and holding just a little bit of tension in the abdomen so you're not letting your belly kind of hang out, not just so that we look like we have flatter bellies, but really to kind of give that strength in the core and the pelvic floor in the back. Right, mm-hmm. right. So and there's another exercise technique that I'm trained in called hypopressives. One of the things it focuses on is posture. And I love the way that the hypopressives method teaches um, or cues posture. So really quickly, just if you imagine, um, you know, every person has their three domes. So you have the pelvic floor, the respiratory diaphragm, and the crown of your head. And if let's say you're standing or sitting, for example, you want to think about lining up those three domes. Mm-hmm. And then you want to imagine like a string pulling through the center or the crown of your head, and you want to lengthen and grow. So if you line up those domes and lengthen and grow, that's just like a really nice natural way to uh, improve your posture. Like, and just every so often, just think to myself, okay, let me lengthen and grow. Mm -hmm. In terms of pulling in the muscles, you could definitely pull in your pelvic floor and pull in your abdominal muscles, meaning your pull your belly button inwards towards your spine. But like I said earlier, we're not meant to grip or clench our muscles all day long. That will cause spasm and problems and you'll just get tired. But you can just pull them in a little bit, like 20% of a maximal contraction, just just a little bit, just engage those muscles, but don't grip or tense or, you know, squeeze those muscles really tight. And that can help those, you know, sort of remind those muscles to turn on 
strong because we're not supposed to have to think about using our core muscles. They're supposed to just kind of turn on automatically, mm -hmm. but sometimes they need a little reminder. So if you want to just pull them in a little bit, hold it until you feel tired, that's a great idea too. Mm -hmm. I love that lengthen and grow cue that you gave because for one, I'm already sitting a little bit taller just, uh, just listening to you do that. But it also, I think, gives you that little bit of like 20% engagement if you're thinking about lifting yes, up instead of like pulling in and sucking in everything. It kind of gives you that little bit of engagement. Yes. It's also giving me flashbacks to like ballet lessons when I was a child. <laughs> the same sort of thing like grow through your head. But, um, but I think that's a really good tip. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to harp on the Kegel exercises, but we're going to just revisit that one time because I think a lot of people do Kegel exercises wrong or incorrectly. And I know you do a great job of, of teaching people how to do it when they're they're with you in person, but can you give a little bit of an explanation about how the best way is to do a, a Kegel exercise oh, sure. for listeners? Um, so an easy way to check if you're able to do the Kegel is the stop urine test. Now, I'd like to emphasize the word test. So what is the stop urine test? When you're urinating, see if you can stop the flow of urine midstream. If you're able to stop the flow of urine midstream, that tells you that your pelvic floor muscles are fairly strong. If you're not able to stop the flow of urine midstream, your muscles are probably weak. That being said, that should really only be done as a test every once in a while. I have a lot of women that for some reason they think it's, uh, when they're urinating is a good time to do their Kegels, which mm -hmm. it is absolutely not. It can actually interfere interfere with proper bladder function. So, But that can be done as a test and as an easy way to just sort of figure out where those muscles are. And, you know, the pelvic floor muscles, they have, you know, two main functions, um, which we alluded to earlier, is that they close the openings, mm -hmm. the vagina and the anus and the urethra, and they give a, a support or a lift to the pelvic floor organs. So the cues I like are imagine the vagina and the anus closing like a mouth. Mm -hmm. And you want to also imagine your whole perineum lifting up towards your head like an elevator with three floors so that you're thinking about closing and lifting, pulling up towards your head or... If it helps you, you can imagine like you're picking up a marble with your vagina or sucking a smoothie with a straw through your <laughs> vagina. Um, whatever works for you. Those are so many different cues. Or just imagine you're holding in gas. That gets a little bit more of the rear portion. Um, yeah, that's basically how to do a Kegel. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rivka. This has been wonderful. I really loved having you on, and I'm sure our listeners have too. I know you're working with us here at the Florida Center for the Urogynecology. So if somebody is interested in seeing check out our website at floridaurogyne.com. If you're not in the South Florida area and you're thinking pelvic floor physical therapy may be good for you, are there some other ways that people can identify a pelvic floor therapist in their area? Yeah, so there are several PT locators. The two that are that come to me right off the top of my head are pelvicrehab.com and there's also PTL as in PT locator women's health apta.org those are two websites where you can just put in your zip code and find a provider okay we'll link to those in the show notes so it'll be easy for people to find thank you again Rifka. i've really appreciated this my pleasure it was great being here if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast leave us a review and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.